Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. So good to see you tonight. Thank you for coming back. That tells me you got something out of Sunday's message. Sunday's message was just, I mean, it was awesome. Not because I preached it by any means, but because God gave me some stuff that if you did not, or we're not here, or we're not watching online, <clears throat> let me encourage you to go back to uh, our, fa- our Facebook page. You can go to the archives. Yeah, I believe you can go to YouTube, right, Manny? Do we have a podcast? Don't we have a podcast, Trace? We do? Yeah, Miss Whitney takes care of our podcast, right? Or is that Becca? Becca. I get everybody confused. So we, huh? We have a YouTube channel. Sweet. They don't know that. What else we got? Podcast? Facebook. So you have three avenues you can watch that message. Huh? Or you can be here live too, but you can't now because I'm not going to preach it again. But I am going to preach how to exit Job like season. So turn to Exodus chapter 13. Trace, can I have a microphone? I'm going to put Miss Linda Beaver on the spot. Miss Linda, would you come up here for a moment? I'm going to put you on the spot. I, won't, I promise you, you won't throw up or nothing. Come here. You know, I've had a lot of people, I've had a lot of people uh, tell me about how the message blessed them and what they got out of it. And that, I so appreciate you doing that because that lets me know that I'm in tune with God. But Miss Linda sent me a message yesterday that was just so good. And I want you to share what you got out of that message because it just touched my heart. I know it touched other people. And I, I, want, I want you to share it in your words. I don't, I don't want to say it. I want you to share it in your words. And put it close. Really close. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, I mentioned that, that I never had really studied is it on? very deeply. Hang so, on. Is it on? Hang on. We're going to give you another mic. Thank you, Miss Maddie. Try that one. Hello that better? <clears throat> I never had really studied Job deeply. I had read through it several times. And, um, you know, uh, as a Christian and seeing the things he went through was kind of hard. But I, um, I had kind of judged his wife. You know, he just should do away with himself. And I just thought, well, that wasn't very nice. Um, but I had never thought, uh, as Craig brought out to us, that her whole world was changing. It was ending. Um, her husband might be going to die. He was really sick. It was really terrible sickness that he had and, and um, no servants. She was used to having servants to cook and clean and stuff. And, and then what about their future? They didn't have any cows anymore. They didn't have anything. And um, <clears throat> it, it brought it home to me. I, I had never put myself in her place, but I was there one time when my husband died. I, um, I remember thinking, how am I going to make it on one salary? <clears throat> and uh, so I, I just could kind of identify with that, but I had not tried before. But I, I will add something else. I will tell you how I made it on one salary. I started tithing, and I am blessed of the Lord today because I didn't tithe before that, but I started then, and um, he's taken care he's of taken me. taken care of you. Amen. Thank you, Miss Linda. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, we all get different things out of messages, but I've had several people... Uh, message me or text me saying that's you know about Job's wife because I was the first one to judge her you know how dare her say that how dare her you know and 
But man, it just, it brought it home when, you know, you think she became a caregiver to Job, and she didn't have the resources like Miss Linda was talking about. She just didn't have them. I think another thing for me was the fact that, <clears throat> you know, Satan wasn't after his cattle, his land, his kids. He wasn't after that. He was after Job's commitment. And I believe that's exactly what the enemy's after today with us, is our commitment. Our commitment to God, our commitment to our spouse, our commitment to church, our commitment to a lot of things. If he can get that commitment that you have to God, he can destroy your life. He can destroy your life. But Exodus chapter 13, I'm going to talk to you tonight, kind of continue from Sunday, how to exit, <clears throat> how to exit Job-like seasons. We all want the exit, amen? amen? Verse 17 of Exodus 13. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. <clears throat> Although that was near for God, for, near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led people around by the way to the wilderness of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And so, first off, we need to establish this. Let's establish that each and every one of you have been strategically placed on this planet for such a time as this. God didn't get your address and your timing wrong. God put you here for such a time as this. God knew at this time in earth's history, he would place something on the inside of you that the world would need from you. You have to know that. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he told Jeremiah, before I formed you, in your mother's womb, I knew you. He said, before I formed you. Your parents made you, but God formed you. God wired you for his work. He crafted you for his calling. You have been built by design. We have to establish that tonight. You don't have any deficits for your calling. And what you don't have, hear me, you don't need. Because whatever you need, God has placed on the inside of you. Now, it may seem a little dormant. You may not have even discovered it yet. But God has placed everything that you need on the inside of you to be who He's called you to be and to do what God's called you to do. God has a purpose for your presence. And that purpose, by and large, is His plan for your life. And I want to establish that tonight. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. Now notice he didn't say, he didn't say we. We know the plans. He said, I. I know the plans. There are thousands of words used to describe God. But one that is often overlooked is this. <clears throat> God is unpredictable. Now in no way am I questioning or suggesting that there's inconsistency in God's character because there's not. He was a way maker, and he still is a way maker. He was a provider, he still is. He was a healer, and he still is. There's no inconsistency in God's character. And although there's no inconsistency in his character, there is unpredictability in his activity. So although I can predict what, you know, he will be, I can't always predict what he will do. 
I know who God is. I know what God will do. I know what He can do. But I can't always predict what He will do. So there are several times in Scripture where we see this played out. A man named Jerias. Jerias. How do you say his name? Jerias. Jerias? Jerus. I don't know. J-A-I-R-U-S. That's his name. And he asked for healing for his daughter. And watch this. Jesus went immediately. Then we got examples like Mary and Martha who, you know, Jesus delayed his coming to heal Lazarus. So there are times where when Jesus would speak a word and someone would just get healed. And other times people had to touch the hem of his garment to get healed. Because although there's no inconsistency in his character, there's unpredictability in his activity. So what does that mean, Pastor? Okay, it means that the course and the quality of my life is determined by how I handle what I can't see coming. Job-like seasons. If you can't handle surprises, you won't live well because life is full of surprises. So if everything has to be planned and everything has to go as predicted, if everything has to go as you prefer in order for you to live well, you'll be unable to step into the fullness of God's best for your life. Because here's the thing. The quality and the course of your life is going to be determined by how, by how you handle Job-like seasons. See, some of you may be in one of those seasons right now. Now, this text that we just read in Exodus 13 is a picture of this principle in action. Now, we've, I've, just, I've told you before that Exodus means what? Exit. So, the context of this book shows how God made an exit for his people out of Egypt. Now, this is important because if God is a God of exits, and he is, then no matter what happens in my life, I'm never trapped. No matter what happens in your life, you never, I've, I've been God. No way. If God is the God of the exit, it doesn't matter how limited I, you know, I seem to be, he'll make a way out no matter what. If he needs to part the Red Sea, he'll make a way. Amen? If he's got to make the walls of Jericho fall down, so be it. He'll make a way. Because God is the God, always remember this, write it down, he's the God of exits. And here in our text, we see something interesting. Israel has received a revelation that God is going to lead them to the promised land. Now, which represents, the promised land represents their redemptive potential. <clears throat> and they're assuming they're leaving Egypt <clears throat> and going straight to Canaan. Now, their deliverance from Egypt represents a type of salvation. Okay? Types and shadows. Here we go. Paul says in the book of Corinthians, them walking through the Red Sea was symbolic of baptism. Exodus teaches that when they walk through the Red Sea, they walk through what? What they walk on? Dry land. Think about this. The Red Sea just parted. But they walked through on dry land. That ground shouldn't have been dry. It should have been wet. It should have been muddy. But think about it. If it were muddy, it would leave what? <clears throat> Tracks. Mud leaves evidence of where you've been. 
So therefore, it wouldn't be a picture of total redemption if the evidence was still present of where they had come from. Because Jesus washes sin away. There is no evidence. But them walking through water and getting to the other side without leaving tracks of their past is a powerful picture of this redemption and what Jesus did for us. So they're assuming they're going from Egyptian or Egypt to salvation. Right to the fullness of their potential. Right to the fullness of God's promises. Right from Egypt, right to Canaan. Okay? You with me still? The text says that God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, even though it was shorter. It says there was a shorter way, but God did not lead them in the shorter way. He led them what? Around. Everybody say around. They didn't see that coming. They didn't, they didn't see that one. Very often, church, when we see seasons that we didn't think were coming, we assume it's just not God. This can't be of God, right? But the text teaches the exact opposite. It says he led them around the wilderness. Complete surprise to everyone. Now, I've read this text before, and when I would read it, I would assume that the wilderness was a negative experience. I would say to myself, I don't want to be in the wilderness. I don't want to be in that season. I always thought of it as a negative light. But as I really began to think about it, I kind of began to argue with myself. Has anybody ever been there besides me where you argue with yourself? At one point, my thoughts would be, the wilderness is negative. And then another part, which I believe was the Holy Spirit, would say, no, it's necessary. I'd say, no, it's negative. No, it's necessary. No, it's negative. No, it's, and we argue back and forth. Then the Holy Spirit dropped this in me. I want you to write this down if, you, if you're taking notes. <clears throat> the wilderness only becomes negative when you stay there longer than you have to. It only becomes negative when you stay there longer than you have to. Israel had to go through the wilderness, but they didn't have to stay in the wilderness. There are some things that you may have to go through, but you don't have to stay in. They were in the wilderness for 40 days. 40 is a metaphor for seasons. 40 represents the fact that the wilderness is a transitional time. It's a transitional season. Many of you, you may seem like you've been there for 40 years, but you're just in a transitional season, and you're coming out. That's a good place to say amen right there. I'm coming out. Amen? It's where you're out of Egypt, but you're not quite to Canaan yet. It's where you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're going to be. That makes sense? It's when things are better than they used to be, but not as good as they're going to be. It's when you're making some progress, but you still haven't stepped into your full potential yet. The wilderness represents that season. And some of you are in that wilderness season right now. It was a season that God led them into. Now listen to what God says. He said, the short way led them into battles. They weren't ready to fight. The short way led them into battles. They weren't ready to fight. The text says that God led them by way of the wilderness. 
Because although the way to Canaan through the Philistine country was shorter, God led them a different way because God knew the battles they would face would set them back. And you may be sitting, sitting there thinking, why am I going through this? Because some of the things that you are going, may go through, God will, have to, he will set you back, and God knows that. And they would go back to the place that God delivered them from. They just run back to what they knew. How many times do we run back to what we knew? Because we're afraid of what could be. But what we knew is a comfortable, safe place. Amen? See, when certain battles aren't managed properly, they set you back. So the wilderness felt like restriction, but the wilderness was actually their protection. And sometimes God's protection, write this down, it feels like restriction. But it's God protecting you. See, God knows whenever you get a blessing, you also take on responsibility. So before you, God gives you that blessing, He has to make sure, church, that you're qualified to handle the responsibility of what He's about to bless you with. Because if I don't know how to handle the responsibility that comes with the blessing, that blessing will feel like a curse. The Bible talks about that. It said He'll give you blessing without sorrow. That's what that's talking about right there. Because why? To whom much is given, much is required. Responsibility. So, whenever we get more of what we want, we also get more of what we don't want. I'll let that settle a little bit. See, we're ready for what we do want. But God wants to make sure, are we ready for what we don't want? Because some of that comes with it. You think you're ready for what you do see. I want that blessing. I'm ready for that blessing. But God knows you're not ready for what you don't see. And that's the responsibility of that blessing. That's why you haven't possessed it yet. Does that make sense? With promotion, hear this, with promotion comes some pressure. So we can be ready for the promotion, but not emotionally ready for the pressure that comes with that promotion. And so there are times when God takes us around the wilderness to get you ready for what you don't know you need to be ready for what you do know. We see this all throughout Scripture. With Jesus' increased notoriety also came a lot of hostility. Increased hostility. So we can be ready for more influence but not be ready emotionally for more hostility. Everybody come again? Everybody ever come? You know, things are going good in your life. God's using you and people start coming against you. Like, where'd that come from? Increased notoriety brings increased hostility. So God has to get us ready, church, for what comes with what we want that we cannot see. So he allows us to go through this thing called a wilderness season. And as I looked at Israel's experience of the wilderness, I could see the benefits of God placing them in a season like this. The wilderness season, write this down, was a season of preparation. And how this season of preparation is managed determines whether or not it is prolonged or whether or not it is made permanent. Now, I want to hang out here for a while, okay? How these seasons are managed determines or not whether they are prolonged or whether or not they are permanent. Israel had to go through this season, but they didn't have to stay there 40 years. They stayed there 40 years because they mismanaged the season time in their life. 
Some of you are repeating a cycle because you're mismanaging your season. I didn't say it was going to be a popular sermon. I didn't say it was going to be a shout-me-down sermon. I'm going to tell you it's going to be a sermon that's going to make you open your eyes. Some of you are mismanaging your season. That's why you're repeating a lot of stuff you're going through. They stayed there 40 years because they didn't see the delay as a blessing. They saw it as a restriction. Write this down. How you see it determines how you handle it, and how you handle it determines how long you stay. How you see what you're in determines how you handle it, and how you handle it determines how long you stay in that season. Okay? This was a season of preparation. And God wanted to use this season to teach them some things they didn't know that they needed to learn. Because they hadn't stepped into a season that required that before. There are things that we don't know, church, that we need to know because we haven't stepped into a season that requires it. And so this wilderness season was a season of preparation. Where you're at, if you're in a wilderness season right now, you're in a season of preparation. That ought to excite you. Don't focus on the season. Focus on, you know what, God, if I prepare myself right there's going to be a tremendous blessing and a tremendous opportunity for me on the other side of this season that I'm in. It felt like restriction, but it's really protection. So God uses this wilderness season to prepare them by pruning them. Preparation by pruning. Look at John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. I'll read it again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. There are three things God pruned with Israel in the wilderness season that I want you to see. First of all, you can, this will be on your screen. First of all, he pruned, number one, issues. Issues. Three things that God pruned. Number one, he pruned issues. Just because Israel was out of Egypt doesn't mean Egypt was out of them. He had to prune them. We can be out of a season in our life, but yet that season not be out of us. The question, that's, that's how you exit Job Black seasons. You've got to get some pruning going on. The question that we have to ask ourselves is when we survive these type of seasons, it's not did I survive, but what kind of condition am I in? Am I better because of this? Or am I worse? Am I more trusting of God? Or am I less trusting of people? <clears throat> the question isn't, did I just survive? The question is, what condition am I in? Remember the story in Daniel chapter 3, the Hebrew children came out of the fiery furnace? The amazing thing about God's intervention here isn't just the fact that they came out, but the text says two things happened. Their hair was not even singed, and the smell of smoke was not what? On them. Two amazing things happened there. That's the miracle. They came out and didn't smell like what they had been through. My point is this. When people don't handle those experiences well, you can smell when they've been burned. When you don't handle those type of seasons, it shows. He uses it, watch this church, as a season to purge, meaning 
The delay oftentimes can be God giving us time to deal with things so we can't afford to fight where we're going. When Israel got to the promised land, they had to fight. God used the wilderness season to deal with some things within themselves. Because hear this, you cannot be fighting out there and within yourself at the same time. That's what I call unnecessary battles. When you're fighting out there and you're fighting within yourself, sometimes the worst enemy is the inner me. God used that as a wilderness period to say, hey, it's time for you to deal with this. It's time for you to deal with this. He's saying, I'm going to press pause. I'm not stopping your destiny, but I'm pressing pause because you can't go any further without dealing with this first. That may be a reason why you're not out of your Job-like season yet. He's dealing with some things. Am I helping anybody tonight? Okay. I got a lot of information I want to give you in a short amount of time, but I want to, I want to do this. Because if you don't deal with this in this season, it's going to deal with you. So God says, trust me. That the delay is not denial, and let me purge this issue that's in you. Number two, God uses seasons like this to, number two, purge individuals. We talked a little bit about this on Sunday. Purging people. Not only does he remove issues out of your life, but he also uses seasons like this to remove people out of your life. Listen, everyone who leaves your life are not escorted out by Satan. Some people who leave your life are escorted out by God. Some relationships are supernaturally sabotaged by God. Look at, look at Proverbs 13, 20. I'll prove this to you. He who walks with wise men will be wise. But the companion, everybody say companion. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. He didn't say a fool would be destroyed, did he? Read it again. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. He said the companion of fools will be destroyed. So I don't have to be a fool to be destroyed. I just got to hang out with fools to be destroyed. Who you hang out with? How's it working for you? And the Bible specifically in Job, you know, is wisdom literature. We talked about that Sunday too. That's the part of the Old Testament that is designated as wisdom literature, right? It's a part of the Bible that is written to give us morals and not just wisdom. Because listen, you can be moral and not be wise. You can be moral and still not be wise. So watch this. If you reduce Christianity to morals and being good, that's not Christianity. That's moralism. You can be moral and not be a Christian. See, morality is where godliness begins, not where it ends. When the Bible here uses the word fool, it's talking about being spiritually unintelligent or spiritually insensitive. Okay? It's not talking about a person who lives recklessly. It's talking about a person who does not value spiritual insight. And that comes from a God who created the world and knows how it's supposed to work. Now, Paul says 
And 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or character or morals. Why did Paul say do not be deceived? Because it's possible to be in the midst of bad company and not realize the impact that that company is having on you. That's why he says, do not be deceived. He said, bad company corrupts good, good habits. Bad company corrupts good morals, good character. Now here's the thing. Know this about corruption. Corruption doesn't happen immediately. Corruption happens what? Over time. The Bible tells us this because our relationships have implications, church, on where we go and where God wants us to end up. So there are times in our life when God has to do for us what He did for Israel, and that is purge. Purge. And when you read the story, you'll discover that there was a whole generation that was actually left in the wilderness. <clears throat> Excuse me, not because God wanted them to stay, wanted them to stay there, but because they chose to stay there. Because watch this, God will let you live on whatever level you settle for. He's not going to make you live in blessing. When God sent Moses to Israel to speak to them about their exit out of Egypt, He never told them that their ending place was the wilderness. He never mentioned that. He always talked about what? The promised land, Canaan. He constantly reminded them about a land flowing with milk and honey because that was his intention for his people. But we can, watch this, we can stop short of God's best because he will let you live on whatever level that you settle for. Don't settle for good, when God's got best in mind for you. Now here's what's scary. God tried to purge that generation from the life of Moses. But what happened? Moses interceded on behalf of a generation that still didn't make it to Canaan. If you read the text and not romanticize it, and what I mean by that is, very often we look at the fact that Moses prayed and think how awesome that was. That was so nice of Moses, right? But the question is not just what am I praying for or if I'm praying. The question is what's driving my prayer? What's driving your prayer life today? Emotional unhealthiness can drive me to pray for things that are not healthy for my life. I'll say that again. Emotional unhealthiness can drive you to pray for things that aren't healthy for your life. And so Moses prayed for these people, not just out of a burden or passion for these people, but for a burden and passion to be needed by these people. That's what he was praying for. Jethro intervened and said, Moses, you can't judge these people this way all day long. Something, some things that seem admirable from the outside can be driven by dysfunction on the inside, church. For example... Someone always being there for someone is admirable. That's admirable. Every time I call, they're always there. They always show up when I need them. Such a godly person. Yeah, but the question is, what's driving that behavior? What's driving that behavior? If the desire to be a, a people pleaser is driving that behavior, 
then it's admirable on the outside, but it's driven by something that is unhealthy and dysfunctional on the inside that needs to heal. Some of you are people pleasers. I'll look down when I say that. Don't, 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 don't do that. Because something needs to heal on the inside of you if you're trying to constantly please, please people. Moses had this emotional attachment to people. And God's trying to get them out of Moses' life, but Moses keeps praying them back in. No, don't get them out. I need them back. Listen, when God removes people from your life, and He will, He does it before you see the reason they need to leave. <laughs> before you even see it, God's like, these people aren't good for you, but you don't know they're not good for you yet, but they're not. And God's like, I'm trying to avoid you having to go through some experiences and some things where you're going to have to see that the consequences of the relationship are not good. I'm working on it. And that's what God tried to do with Israel. But Moses said, no, Lord, bring them back in. And what happened was the very people that God tried to take out of his life and let them back in influenced him to a degree that got him so frustrated instead of speaking to the rock, what did he do? He struck the rock. That's why he struck her. He was so mad, so frustrated. So God take Moses up, takes Moses up on a hill and says, look at the promised land. You can see it, but you're never going to possess it because the people that I tried to pull out of your life, you wouldn't let leave. That's good preaching. There's some people you've got to let leave out of your life if you're going to get out of your Joe Black season, church. And it drove you so irresponsible, so destructive that you missed it for the people and now you're going to die for them. That's what he said to Moses. And they're still not going to go in when you die, Moses. They're still not going to make it. So number one, we got issues. I got six minutes. Number one, they got issues. Number two, they purge individuals. Number three, God uses these seasons to purge attitudes. Oh, I wish, I, I wish you hadn't said that, Pastor Craig. I know. It was tough on me too, trust me. You ever heard that old cliche that says attitude determines altitude? If you read Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, it's a book about, I don't have trouble. It's a book about attitude adjustment. I'm trying to get all this in before 8 o'clock, so I'm trying to do. So forgive me if I'm going a little fast. But if you read Deuteronomy, it's a book about attitude adjustments. Deuteronomy is the second part of the law to a generation that is being raised in the wilderness. So you got one generation that died in the wilderness, and you got another that was being raised in the wilderness. Are you with me? This is the generation that Joshua led that occupied the promised land, okay? But this generation was not around when this law was originally given by Moses. So let me show you something here. The book of Deuteronomy was the second retelling of the law to a generation who needed to be grounded before they got blessed. Here's what I want you to see. The types of things that God talks to them about, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 8, is he says things like, when you get houses you didn't build, wells that you didn't dig, vineyards that you didn't plant, remember the Lord your God, for it is he in Deuteronomy, you find this in Deuteronomy, it's he that gives you the power to get wealth. Now, risking the part, or risking the uh, identity of being a prosperity preacher, which I am not, I believe in prosperity, but I'm not 
you don't also you don't constantly hear me talking about prosperity up here. That's what I'm trying to say. But risking that part right there, let me just tell you this. He didn't say for you to get your needs met. He didn't say for you just to have a little bit of money. He said, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. I bank on that. Because if God wants to give me power to get wealth, I want all of it that I can get. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, he's talking to people right here about how to handle life issues. They didn't have it down yet. Like you and I, we don't have it all down yet. Deuteronomy was given to them while they were where? In the wilderness. But God is telling them how to handle where he's taking them before he even takes them there. Here's what God's doing. He's getting their attitude to think Canaan land before they even get to Canaan land. He's talking about where they're going before they even get there. Church, if God is talking to you about where you're going before you get there, that's an good indication it's time to pack my bags because I'm moving on. I'm coming out of my Job-like season because you won't be where you are very much longer. God's moving you. God has to shift our mind before He shifts our life. So God has to talk to them out of their small-mindedness and their limited belief system that were a consequence of their ancestors spending so much time where? In Egypt. Because watch this. Genes and genetics are not the only thing that passed from generation to generation. Belief systems also pass from generation to generation. So God wanted to expand Israel's belief system so that they would see themselves the way God saw them. The generation came out of Egypt. That generation was a generation that couldn't make that mental shift. Now in Numbers 13, they had an opportunity to occupy the land that God had promised. This is a metaphor for the life that Jesus provides for you and I. What happened? Moses sent what? Twelve spies to spy what? The land and give a report about what they saw. Remember this? Ten of them came back with one report. Two of them came back with a good report. Ten said everything, everything you said about the land is true. But boy, there's some big old boys there. I'm talking giants. See, the problem wasn't the giants. They said there are giants there, but we are like grasshoppers. That's what they said. The problem wasn't that they saw the giants wrong. The problem was they saw themselves wrong. How you see yourself? I'm coming out of this thing. I'm actually in my Joe Black season. I'm getting out. Yeah, there's some giants. Yeah, there's some situations. There's some circumstances. But how I see myself matters. How you see yourself in God matters. They're right about the giants, but they're wrong about how they see themselves. And that's the reason why they lived a life that was less than God's best. That's the reason why they didn't step into the fullness of the plan that God had for their life. They wouldn't let God adjust their attitude. Purpose, church, isn't just about how you see God. It's about how you see yourself. And I believe the question the Holy Spirit wants to leave with us today is, how do you see you? They saw themselves as slaves. They didn't see themselves as soldiers. Why? Because it all boils down to how they mismanaged the wilderness season in their life. God's up to something. 
And he knows, God knows what he's doing. And the delay is not denial, church. He knows where he's taking you. And he knows when you need to get there. Because some of you are asking, when am I going to get there? And the answer to that question is right on time. That's when you're going to get there. Right on time. But while you're in the season you're in, don't see it as a prison. See it as a schooling. It's not a scolding. It's a schooling. Let God prepare what He has for you. Amen? 801, I did good. I had a lot of stuff to give you. 801. Let God. Listen. <coughs> I thank God. Now that I look back, I thank God for my Joe Block seasons. And I thank God He gave me enough sense to get out of my Joe Block seasons. But there's been some times in my life when I, I was stuck in my Joe Block season. Because I, you know why? Because I was so concentrating on my situation and not where God wanted to take me. And the enemy will use that every time in your life. Just concentrate on the negative. Concentrate on what you don't have. Concentrate because you're not healed yet. Concentrate because you got this problem, you got that problem. Listen, don't mismanage your wilderness season. When you get management right, you'll get promotion right. Good management brings godly promotion. Good management. Have your wilderness season. Brings godly promotion. Father, thank you for this night.